So We've Been Thinking, the podcast. Thanks for joining us on the inaugural kickoff episode of the So We've Been Thinking podcast. Um, we're really fortunate to have the entire show devoted to a conversation with a good friend of mine and an exceptionally creative educator, Michael Cohen, the tech rabbi. Got to meet Michael a number of years ago at an EdTech teacher event in Chicago, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to share this discussion we've had about creativity and the process of creativity and creating and the intersection of creating with technology. So thanks for joining, and let's get right into it. All right, so Michael, I always want to say thank you for joining us on the So We've Been Thinking podcast. I'm exceptionally excited because this is interview number one, episode number one. We will look back on this at some point and think like that was horrendous horrendous audio. Like the editing was horrific, but that's not the point. The point is to tell some stories today. So going along with the lines of, so we've been thinking, um, what have you been thinking about lately and what, what's interesting you and what stories are you excited about and what do you want to talk about today? Well, first I'm, I'm super excited to be on, on your podcast and on this conversation, especially conversation number one, because I'm a firm believer that if you're trying to provide value for others, it doesn't matter how it's transported. Obviously, if you're trying to bring value to somebody and you're standing next to a subway that's uh, running a train every five minutes, okay, that might be a little bit disruptive. But bottom line is, if we're looking to help others, it doesn't matter if it's choppy audio. Right now, I am super excited about translating creativity in a way that everybody feels that they are ready to reveal their innate creative process and really trying to disconnect it from uh, creative expressions, whether it's, you know, myself being an, an artist and a designer, someone's a musician, an artisan, someone who just has this way of doing things. And how do we start with that thinking process? And that has been, I think, a focus. It was a focus of my ISTE keynote. It's been a focus of a lot of content, uh, you know, shameless self-promotion, but you know, I have a book hopefully coming out before the end of the year. Uh, and really wh why I'm sharing these little tidbits is it's requiring me to communicate these ideas in ways in which um, large groups of people need to internalize the idea. Uh, and also that the idea has to be understood without me there explaining it. And I think that everybody has this creative ability inside of them and it's up to school to really shift the way in which we help others reveal and develop their own creative process. So I think it, it's interesting when ideas like kind of collide at the same time. So I found myself lately really kind of thinking about this, like how can one, two ways, how can one be more creative or how can we maybe establish a clearer, more open definition of what we actually mean when we say someone is creative or you're thinking creatively. So with that being said, and the, the school side of it, I want to get to in a, in a bit as well. Like how do those two worlds collide creativity in school? Cause I think it's gone down a certain path for a long time, but like the, the process of being creative or the idea of creativity, I think they're kind of different things. And I think sometimes people have this perception of what it means to be creative. So like, what do you think? If How do you define creativity? How do you get there? What does your process look like? And can we make that process transferable or more transparent to more people? Yeah. I define creativity as a way of looking at 
myself internally and the world around me. And I think that's transferable for everybody. I notice things that other people don't notice. And it could be in conversations when we're trying to solve a problem. I think that design thinking, um, which I'm sure we'll get to later, is a perfect example of like how to document a process of problem solving. And that's really what creativity is about. So yes, I can, I can express creativity through different mediums and means. But at the end of the day, it's this way of thinking and being able to connect things that don't seem to connect or notice details about uh, experiences or scenarios that others might either not notice or even when you share it with them, they're like, like they don't even really see how that could possibly connect. And it's those opportunities that if, if students, you know, as young as first and second grade were challenged to engage in this kind of divergent thinking process, I, I just can't even imagine what it would look like as that, that first or second grader is, is entering into the 10th or 11th grade. So you're, you're bringing us right to, we went to the school path immediately um, when it comes to that, which I, I completely understand. Like that's the space in which we live. Um, I think about it a few different ways, like even something that I'm personally interested in. Like I think about basketball and the change in the way the game is played and the way that athletes can move their body and manipulate a ball. It's drastically different than what has come before it. Right. So something is building upon that. You don't go from zero to a certain new technique to dribble the ball that didn't exist prior to that. So how do we get people to start? You talked about the idea of looking at things differently or seeing things in a way that other people don't see them. So is there something that we can do to help people start to see things differently to maybe start to think about things in a more creative way in that nonlinear path that they've always seen them? Yeah. Well, I think here, I think you mentioned basketball. It's a really great example of sports. Technology has completely transformed the way in which we experience and engage and engage in content, uh, content, but it's also, it's, it's changed the way in which we experience things. And think about this for a moment, 35 years ago. So they, you had recorded, you know, syndicated basketball games. And if I'm a player looking to become better, so w- what did what did basketball games look like in in that in that time period? Two camera angles, big, uh, you know, sky sky, you know, bird's eye view, and then maybe something courtside. Now you have players who are actually engaging in six to, to eight different angles of the same play. And seeing how their competition is is finessing the ball, is moving around. Same thing with the World Cup. You know, I'm I'm an avid soccer uh, player, soccer fan. This was the first World Cup that they used the uh, the video assisted referee VAR, and it was crazy. You you watched the in the final. There was one moment where the referee had to come back two, three, almost four times. He he left the the, the viewing box and he came back because it's, it's, it's a new way of looking at things. And he has to take a third, fourth look at it because it's just something we're not used to. And so that is, I think, a really great analogy for just the world at large, which is we have to give young people, school, not school. I, I'm using grade levels, let's use age levels. It has to start at a, at a younger age because right now, you know, if, if you are an outlier, you know, to use a, a borrowed term, so you could figure this out, you know, in your late 20s, early 30s and beyond. But for most individuals who are 
under the age of 25, they have been indoctrinated into this way of, of thinking that is just total opposite of divergency. It is linear. It is, it is, there is a problem and there is a one specific answer and you're going to figure that out. And so it's, it's anywhere from the way in which we collaborate together, from the way in which we use technology to learn and experience things. It's the way in which we understand iteration and that there isn't a challenge one time and then you're done and you are assessed and you're moving on. Like that doesn't exist in the, in, in, in the world of technology, in the world of innovation. Um, obviously when the money runs out, then it's game over, but you know, you, my, my, my favorite uh, person right now is, is, is Elon Musk, even though he's got some interesting things going on in the news, I, I don't necessarily look at him as a, as a person that I'm going to invite to, you know, my child's wedding or invite maybe to, uh, to a meal, but it's how is he innovating and just totally disrupting. And it's like, let's put everything on this one rocket launch that if we get right, the world has changed forever. And if we get wrong, SpaceX is bankrupt, right? So how do you, how do you train someone to have that level of, of guts and confidence to do something because they believe it's so incredible and that it's going to help so many people? This is interesting. Um, wow, there's so many ideas in there to kind of unpack one of, and I'll try to get to the first one that you, you talked about. Like sticking with this analogy and say it's camera angles in a sporting event or access to different perspectives on information um, with a concept that's being explored in class. So technology and creativity, right? That's our next jump to talk about. So is that the primary lens in which you see how technology is impacting creativity? It's access to more information because I've had this perspective that, you know, creativity can be unlocked or creativity can flourish because of access to tools that allow for expression in a mode that we may have not been able to before, like what we're doing right now, which 10 years ago would have said like, no, that's way too hard to pull that off. And now we can pull this off with minimal effort if wanted to, to record and publish and, and syndicate and all that. So what are your thoughts on this, this kind of like dual purpose of technology when it comes to creativity, this idea of accessing information and then maybe even creating? And then there's a third lens as well, which is sharing. So what yeah. do you think? Well, I think it's, I think it's all three. I think it's, it's consuming. Like, I don't want to underestimate consumption. What the struggle has been up until now is that consumption is usually you find a person and then you consume information from that specific person, whether it's school, whether it's a, a mentor and a trade, like you have this one person and now that person is bestowing information upon you. I think that the, the uh, access to inter- information is massive. I think that the tools are becoming so incredibly simplified that it is allowing a, a younger age, every year a younger age is able to do something incredible. I, I remember being in, you know, in university in um, the early 2000s and like, how was I going to create content? It was, it, there were so many different you know, hardware, software combinations. And now it's like, oh, we could have a, a, a year two kindergartner or a first grader storyboard, script, film, edit, and produce a video about uh, the, the, the growth and, and lifespan of a butterfly. Like, that's crazy. And, and that didn't exist, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I, I, heard, I heard from the, 
the uh, the head engineer and basically like the father of iMovie. I was at an event and he said that clips, if, if, if iMovie would be created today, it would be clips. And what is clips? Clips is this incredibly simplified way of creating content that looks incredible, but focuses on what? The message, the content. And then you mentioned sharing. And that's, that's what it's really all about, is how can we as a global society change for the better? Because so many people are creating, sharing, and consuming content from different perspectives. And that is, is something that I'm so grateful for that, you know, I just, I just look back, you know, just to, to, you know, our friendship and, you know, my, my connection with EdTech Teacher, I could have just chilled in LA in my little two square mile Jewish community and, you know, had a job and did, did innovation, quote unquote. And I was like, oh, let's check out this conference and, you know, let's, let's go to Chicago and, and let's connect with people. And all of a sudden it, it just, it just blossomed into this realization that technology um, destroys all stereotypes. It gives, it democratizes our ability to connect with communities and cultures all over the world. It builds bridges, it connects people. And our students need so many more opportunities to engage in what I just described. That's awesome stuff. There's every time, every time you wrap up and you're done with a thought, I'm thinking, geez, there's five little nuggets in there that we need to unpack all of them. And we're not going to unpack all of them. Um, so I feel like we're kind of thinking similarly in terms of what does it mean to be creative? Um, how do we get there? So one really quick story, then I'd like you to maybe share a similar one that you're thinking. What, there was an instance I had um, maybe, I think, a couple, couple of years ago now where I was feeling like exceptionally creative. And I tried to target, like, why am I feeling exceptionally creative now? And then I was able to crank out this little mini project. And it was like, wow, I'm really feeling good about like what I'm doing. And it was... I mean, in the big picture, maybe it was irrelevant. Like maybe it got other people inspired, but I started remixing my favorite sneakers and chopping them up into vertical segments, putting them back together and making like remixed, remixed colorways of various shoes that would never come out just by aligning like all these different other colorways together and making this wacky model of the shoe. And then doing that on my phone and pushing it out on Instagram and like no one saw it, no one cared, but I felt really creative. And what I was thinking was, this, this is a different way of, like, I've looked at these shoes forever, but for some reason now I'm looking at them differently. And I, I felt like I caught myself thinking like, what would happen if, or suppose that I, and like the shoe is sitting on the table, or I'm looking at the picture of the shoe on my phone, like what would happen if I mashed 10 versions of the Jordan 11 together? Like, what would that look like? Well, I can do it without any resources other than the phone that I already have. So I'm wondering if we talk about processes, right? Like, how does Elon Musk become so bold? How do creative artists become so creative? I think there's maybe this illusion that you either are or are not creative, like capital C, like creative genius. You are that or you aren't. Or is there like a grinding process and like frameworks of thinking that you can use that allow you to get there? And have you experienced that or an exceptionally creative moment or, or short, you know, burst? And was there something that was actually going on that you could target and then say, this is the way I did it. Now you can do it also. Yeah. Oof. That's a lot. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's awesome. So the, there's a couple, there's a couple pieces. One is, you know, as you've described, 
these what are what are like small very concrete moments of growth in which we engage in a process that isn't that the end product isn't something that we're like trying to shift right we're, we're not trying to get that final end goal published or like that that isn't the end goal but that's actually a part of the part of a journey and i think that is something that i've been working a lot on because i want people to a have small moments of either victory or of context for their creative growth but that it's also like you don't just you know we we look at people you know the, the saying the saying goes you know don't compare your beginning to someone else's middle right like don't look at elon musk who's like oh he's like a multi-millionaire and now maybe he's a billionaire i don't know he's actually i think because he keeps putting all of his fortune back into a new company he actually isn't um, a billionaire but he he used to sleep in his office and take showers at the ymca right and people don't people don't look at that and and people aren't willing to do that like literally if you right now are a 20 year old person who is who wants to create value and change the world and do something incredible you can't be focused on a b and c if those things are just about like having fun and enjoying yourself right i think that people aren't willing to put in the work uh, to be blunt and i think it, it's important to acknowledge that being creative it takes a lot of work and I, if, 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 if I would dare to assume that you're anything like me, your workday um, doesn't really have a beginning or an end. You, you find points where, where family time is, is, is a moment where it's unshakable and it's dedicated, but you don't look at it as working because you're doing something you love. So you might find yourself, you know, two hours in the evening or, or finding yourself, oh, it's 1 a.m. You were just working on something that's incredible and fun. And like technically, if a doctor would look at you, like you're working. Just like I would be working, but no, it's we're we're not working. We're 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 just doing our creative kind of flow, and I think that that's kind of the crazy thing about it. So there's a couple of, a couple ways that I help students and and teachers engage, and I, I've done this a number of times um, recently at conferences to really kind of like build the hype around it. So my my educated by design hashtag has some pretty cool engagement, uh, especially from ISTE. So one is the 30, um, the 30 circle challenge. And I love that one. It's uh, created by Robert McKim, who is a contemporary of the Kelly brothers at, at IDEO. He was the founding uh, professor of uh, the design school at Stanford. And you, you can check out, I, I pushed out on, 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 on Twitter, uh, the template that can be downloaded. Uh, and, and you can download it by just Googling. You know, I made mine look kind of just my fancy style, whatever, but it's, it's out there three minutes to turn as many circles into recognizable objects as, as you can. And I don't want to spoil it on this podcast. So I challenge whoever's listening to go do that. And then it's a reflection of a creative process and it's meant to have a conversation. So you, you don't want to necessarily do it by yourself. You want to engage students or colleagues in a group and then discuss your, your creative problem solving of this challenge. Um, there's another one um, that I, I, I actually I, I so some of this stuff just sort of floats around and it's hard to track who created it or at least who was like one of the big influences around it. But I think it's important to give credit while credit is due, even if you evolve it. So it's, it's T Tina Seelig, who is uh, is a, also a professor at 
um, at Stanford, hugely influential on me. Um, she has a, a, a chapter in, um, in, in, her, in her book, uh, What I Wish I Knew When I Was 20, where it, it's now coined like the bad idea factory. And I have a blog post that sort of, you know, breaks down the journey of like me researching on Google, like, like what's the earliest, you know, name drop of this term, but it's basically a, a opportunity for you to provide your worst ideas possible. Let's come up with bad ideas and really break down the barriers of what are quote unquote good ideas. What is quote unquote creativity? Um, another one that I do is this, uh, is combine and innovate where uh, students or, you know, any participant at random pulls out from a box, um, one object from one box, one object from the other, and they have 48, uh, 48 to 72 hours to combine these two objects into uh, functionally an improved design or a brand new design. And my high school students go crazy over it. They get kind of annoyed and irritated with me. And then they end up having this moment of, 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 of powerful reflection in, in the creative process. So yeah, we're not taking any of these to scale. It's not the next startup object. Or, or app or, or device, but it, it creates a moment where you really have to start to break down, you know, similarities between things, you know, the sort of synthesis versus analysis, like what do things have in common? What are the unique properties of things? And then you can realize that somebody could say like, oh, let's crowd, crowdsource uh, taxi driving with people who already own cars, right? Like, like that came about through divergent thinking. And we look at it, you know, hindsight's 2020. Oh, I could have figured that out. Well, yeah, you could figure it out because now it's out into the world. But the, the, that process of, you know, figuring out those things. Um, the other thing, because I'm, I'm, I'm on a roll of saying five, you know, seemingly ni nice things that will make it difficult to break down each one is... Yeah, at, when at, you number look five, at, at number five, at number five right now. When you look at Y Combinator and their, 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 their accelerator and their quote-unquote like startup school, they connect you with people at every single point of the growth process. And I'd love to see school function in that way. Instead of just having one teacher that's responsible for everything, they are coming up with a way of connecting incredibly talented people with a track record of success in this one specific area to help these people succeed in a, in a passion project that hopefully will scale into a multi-million dollar um, company because that's the only type of people that they like to accept into their school. But it's not about being the next billion dollar company. It's about providing value for people. And I think that can be done, you know, in a philanthropic way, it can be done on a small scale, but at the end of the day, more opportunities need to be provided for our students. It's, yeah, this is the conversation is awesome. And I really appreciate you coming on, taking a risk and joining me for episode number one and getting into these discussions. Um, I, th I feel like it would make sense now if we jump to, okay, so now the constraint for our creativity is schools, right? Like it's, it's not going away. And while, you know, you mentioned like the 20 year old and I kind of get a sense of where that thinking is coming from and um, like non-educational settings. So if, if there is in fact a process or processes or ways of thinking that can get people essentially what it comes down to, I think is, are you able to look at something in a way that you didn't before? Like, can you look at something differently? Can you get out of the, the path that you've been understanding it? And it's funny that you brought up the 30 circles challenge. Like I do that as well in my workshops, even when it's like uh, a workshop about Google apps for education, like I'll do it just to get people thinking differently. Like, Hey, let's take a break and do this. Right. And it's fascinating to me 
and maybe I will spoil a bit, the people that take like a, um, like a bird's eye view on the 30 circles or the people that take, they, they want to combine circles. Like there's so many ways to approach it. Um, so it's a, it's looking at something in a way that you didn't before or looking at something in a way that someone else hasn't before. And then that makes me think, okay, what about building off of the ideas of others or remixing the ideas of others or borrowing or stealing the ideas of others? Like I just reread um, Austin Cleone's um, Show Your Work and I need to go back and read Steal Like an Artist because I think there could be a lot of value in like uh, a shifting mindset of you. everything doesn't have to come start from scratch on your own. And it's okay to borrow ideas of others. Like you say, give credit where credit's due. Yeah, obviously, like we should all do that. But it's almost a different way. It's not cite the idea and then go, this person said this. It's here's the uh, the idea, the genesis of the idea. And now that's going to allow me to do something bigger or better. Or like your 30 circle version is exceptionally more pleasant to look at than the original 30 circle template I first came across. So like that's an iteration and it's more creative. And like, I'm going to steal that one and borrow it and credit it and use it. So, but if we're talking about constraints, like if the constraint is school, how do we operate within those constraints? You gave one example of like, what if we took this approach and like my vision right away was there's a teacher that can guide students to their need to write text. There's a student, there's a teacher that can guide students to their need to like craft their message and tell their story or create their media. So there's like these specialty, almost like little shops you can pop into. But like, how else can we do it? Because the schedule isn't changing and the tests aren't going away. So what can we do? Yeah, so that's been uh, a big challenge for me because of what you just described. There's there's still going to be this, this traditional and unwavering commitment to coverage of content and then high stakes testing to figure out if, you, if the students are any good at it or if they remembered anything, right? Like that's what it's all about. It's just like knowledge retention for the sake of knowledge retention. I literally have students at my, the high school that I work at, uh, which I'm going to fix this problem. They won't take my uh, entrepreneur studio course because it's not an honor course and it will lower their GPA. So easy fix. I just got to, you know, it's, I'm in California. So I got to do a, a write-up and hit all the points of the uh, UC standard and submit it and like then it can be an honors course but like that's that's what we're up against right so it's not just the, the teachers feeling stuck and limited like i want to but i can't it's even students saying i i would like to but i can't because here's how it's impacting me you have to dedicate time for it and if the school can give up a period to create a space dedicated of time and space to uh, innovative practice and exploration, that's, I think, the best way. Because I don't see right now, and in, in all honesty, at least at a, at a high school level, in elementary, middle school, I think you can be a little more flexible with the 20% time. I think 20% time is difficult in high school because there is so much more at stake with college entrance and you know SATs and, and PSATs and things like that. But I look at Don Wetrick, right? He's got this incredible innovation space and time. And it's a dedicated period where it's time to figure things out and become self-aware and do work that's good and that's reflective and that, that, that has growth. So I think that that's important. Now, let's say you, you can't. So you have to teach Shakespeare. You have to teach revolutionary war history. You have to teach the ability to create 
um, a, a, a high quality research paper. But who says the, the process, the journey in which that is learned or that is created has to be traditional? And that's the struggle with me is that, you know, I'm entering my 10th year of education. And that might seem like a lot, but it, 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 only, it only gives me leverage against anyone who's been teaching for 10 years or less, <laughs> right? Anyone who's been teaching for 20 years or more is looking at me like, look, you know what? You know what, young man? <laughs> and it's just, it, 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 it's a struggle. And you know, I have a mentor who's been in education for, for 25 years, and he can go at people uh, in a way that I just can't. And also because I, I try to you know, respect my elders a little bit. But it, it, it is, it's, it's an honest reflection as an educator who, who has to really look at the process and say, okay, I can get these students to master what I want them to master in Shakespeare while learning Shakespeare, but not in the way of, okay, let's do, you know, uh, you know um, um, individualized reading as homework, and then let's read the, the play in class out loud, and then let's get quizzed and test on it, and then write a paper about it. Like, it doesn't have to be that way. And so for me, I'm, I'm looking at ways in which I can empower, you know, an English teacher who, you know, is going to take a risk on me and design thinking. And let's do really impressive research and writing and, and presentation around solving and improving a community and defining community and using empathy as a way of growth. People are not empathetic. One of the reasons why our, our nation is so incredibly polarized, polarized right now is because of a lack of empathy. And it's up to us to create the next generation who is going to have a mess to clean up. And it's, I don't think it's the first mess. I think, you know, we, we're, we're a history of, of messing and fixing. But we, we have to build this empathy for our students. We have to create this space where they can actually go through. And I've been really inspired by a lot of the content you've been pushing out on Medium, where you, you are showing the process and actually helping people see that it's not just, oh, let's be empathetic. Here's the definition. But actually you know, using empathy mapping to observe people and places and, and, and understanding that you don't, you don't have to, like, you don't even have to leave your classroom. Let's build a stronger classroom dynamic through empathy. And let's use that opportunity to do something that involves the fundamental literacies that we hold so important. That was eight things. <laughs> There's going to be some great um, audio snippets to pull out of this, <laughs> like just the little one-offs for later. But so one, thanks for reading, because I'm happy that someone is. And then two, um, it makes me think that in reality, like think of the tradition. So you're talking about this traditional process, right? Like it doesn't have to be a traditional process. And traditional process typically panned out in like we cover, we cover, we discuss a little bit, we cover, maybe we test along the way, we're done. Okay, kids, go be creative now. Do whatever you want. And there is no process or structure or, con or like um, uh, con uh, what's the word? Nothing's confined, right? There's no restraints. In reality, like, what do you think about the idea of maybe we're able to be more creative when you're working within a constrained environment? And like, that's it. These are the materials you have. This is the t whether the constraint is time, materials, idea, community, problem, whatever it is, like, that's it. Like, it makes me think, so have you done much exploring of Instagram TV? 
Yeah, I'm I'm struggling with it. Right, right. Like, we all are, right? Because what, yeah. what are you supposed to do? Why, <laughs> why, why go there? But like, so I, I tried to do this little project recently. So I was doing the reread of Austin Cleon's book. And I was like, oh, I'll make a graphic of each page that I think is kind of cool. And then it's like, hey, here's my graphic, but swipe up to watch my two-minute video where I'm going to talk about it. And like no one watched, but that's not the point. I was trying to operate within that constraint of what can I do with graphics and video that are linked together? Because the problem, I think, is that maybe no one has time to read this book, and I want to sell them on why they think they should read it. With no connection to him, I just think it's valuable. So I felt like I was creative within that constraint. So can we actually say that the constraint of a 45-minute class and a curriculum, instead of that being viewed as a negative, like maybe that's a positive. Like maybe we can just embrace that constraint and then figure out a way to like give students processes to be creative or identify problems or solve problems, which is all the same stuff really. Yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's just, you know, you, you described something where you, you were using a creative process to take something that is, you know, a, a, it's not, not that the, the book is dense, but like something that's dense, right? There, there's a, a huge quantity and you are trying to get somebody to engage with that by creating a small package and engaging moment where it in, it in of itself has value, but then it's also for a greater value. And I think that's a perfect example of ways in which creativity can be explored. You don't need to be able to paint. You don't need to be able to draw you know, perfect portraits of people. But you should, and I think every single student should have a mastery over um, video and photography and editing and graphic design. And it's, it's only because those skills are going to be part of the way in which we're going to function. And, and it will challenge uh, designers to evolve. There, there will be less simplified graphic designers in the future. Uh, there is going to be incredible technology processes. If you look at the way that, you know, Adobe Spark and Canva and, and some of these other really visually striking, um, quick creative processing applications are going, like in 10 years, you know, you're not going to hire somebody, you know, to create a, a, a piece of content for you, whether it's a flyer or a business card or, you know, a quick promo video. It's going to require those creative people that have those skills and the way of looking at those things to evolve and, be, and become something different. So they're not disappearing. But, you know, one of the things that I, I heard at uh, the World Economic Forum this year, Jack Ma, uh, for those that are listening that aren't familiar with him, uh, he's the uh, CEO and founder of Alibaba, which is basically the Amazon uh, of the East. And he said that you in education, uh, and, and just a side note that frustrated me, everyone was talking about education, but there were no educators. It was all business people uh, and researchers and, and analysis, um, you know, and analysts, right? So he said, you need to teach students things that robots can't do, which is um, how to collaborate together, how to make music, how to, how to uh, create art. And that was interesting because uh, there, there are two examples. One is mentioned in um, Seth Godin's linchpin book. There is a city in um, China, and I can never remember the name of it on the fly, uh, and I, I should just say that name a hundred times to you know, remember it. They paint incredible paintings, and the paintings are sold for $20, $30. They're, they're original paintings, uh, but it's because all they're doing is painting. Right? They're, they're not expressing from the soul of the person. They're just painting you know, 
really nice pictures that have you know been um, decided that these are pictures to paint. So a robot can paint a picture, but can a robot and a person look out at a incredible you know view of nature or look at a a, a bustling city and paint the same thing? Can an, can AI create an expression? that isn't programmed it's not scripted maybe it's a maybe it's a billion points of knowledge per second but like can it create an impressionist expression of what it views without it just copying the impressionist period right like that's that's sort of the 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 process that i'm seeing of, of creativity is like how can we give people young people a chance to just really look at the world differently uh, there is, you know, you mentioned how you were combining photos of, of sneakers. There is a, um, um, a, a designer, he's a creative director uh, who left his job to just go full time on Instagram. Uh, his, his handle is combo photo and his name is uh, Steven McMenemy and he combines two objects like a, a lobster claw and a pair of plier handles and, and they line up and it's incredible. And I, I looked at it and I, I published a, a post on this recently of how this is an opportunity for students to engage in a divergent thinking process of really developing the way in which they are looking at things. And I reached out to him. I was like, hey, I want to promote you. I want to get people creating these designs like you are, but not just to replicate you, but actually to go through this educational process. And now I'll reach out to him and, and get his thoughts on it. Cause I'm really excited that, you know, that he was open to, um, you know, to me, you know, sharing it in that context, but combining objects that don't seem to connect together is a, a really challenging process, really getting them to line up, not just in symbolism and in meaning, but actually to get the two objects to, to line and merge together. So that it looks like the same object, whether it's the, the, the object itself, the backgrounds should match up and like that, is really difficult, but has nothing to do with like your ability to draw. It's your ability to think and then take two objects that you either took the pictures yourself or you found, you know, images on Google. And this is sort of a free, free for all because there's really minimal copyright infringement when you're taking two objects and, 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 and remixing them to that degree. So like, you don't have any worry, take you the own pictures, find pictures, but like, you know, verge them together, converge them together. And like that, I think is really concrete. Question is, are schools willing to, to lose time, you know, memorizing, you know, information or, you know, analyzing Beowulf because this is an opportunity to not just create something, but then like document the process in writing, like write a five paragraph essay on divergent thinking and the struggles and research the divergent thinking process and incredible thinkers and how they were divergent in their thinking. Like there's, there's something to this, I hope the students like it because I get excited about it. <laughs> it's your personal passion, divergent, divergent thinking. It's come up again and again. Um, wow, I, I feel like this could this could easily turn into episode two and three and four. There's so many ideas um, being presented, and sometimes it's hard to not, you know, the, the, they pop up in discussion, and you can't even quite finalize them. Like some of these thoughts I've had maybe for the first time because the conversation is promoting that. Um, so I, I appreciate the kind of exploration of creativity, getting me thinking creatively. Um, I don't know if the problem is solved, right? Like it's not going to happen overnight. It's, I also believe that it's not an either or, 
it's not, we cannot do that anymore because we have this to do. And I would even say that, like, obviously creativity is not a new concept, right? It's not a new idea. It's not, but possibly this idea of robots. And I was a little bit, when you're, when you're talking about the robot, not being able to, you know, create an impressionist painting. And I just thought yet, like, as you were talking, I thought yet it will at some point, unfortunately, like, I feel like I'm certain of that. Maybe not the way that we're thinking about it right now. Um, but what was I saying? Um, but it's not an either or. Like I think schools can be confident and say we don't have to give up everything. Like we don't have to change everything we do, but we can embrace opportunities to give kids this uh, this opportunity to maybe use a process like design thinking, or maybe create a final product that's maybe non-traditional. Like if you're going to take that idea of it was just an impromptu idea. Let's make I'll make one page graphics for. 10 stops along the way in this book and then do a two minute reflection and combine those and tell this multimedia story. Like how is that not any less valuable than the five paragraph essay? The thinking is there. You're sharing it in a a medium that you're learning to explore and like leverage for the first time. You're looking at the idea of text differently about storytelling differently. So I think we're both settling on and I, I agree with you, this idea that it's look at something differently in a way that you haven't before. It doesn't matter if it's a drastic change or a small incremental change. It doesn't matter if you're remixing someone idea, someone's idea or the idea is fresh to you. So that I think maybe that's where we're saying this is what it means to be creative and how do we, but, but challenge, how do we get more people there? Because it's easy to not go there. It's easy to stay along the same path, the same line of thinking, because the problem is typically presented. It said, here's the problem, just solve it and use this information to solve it. So there's no impetus to start to think differently because that's not the challenge that's being presented. So yeah, last, awesome. last question for you. Um, maybe some impromptu back and forth and you give me like one word answers. A little bit of along the lines of the inside the actor studio, but I haven't finalized my questions yet. Um, what is the last thing that you read that really inspired you? <sighs> I'm re- I'm rereading Lynchpin. Awesome. Perfect. No more. Say no more. Um, what's the last, uh, what's a podcast that you find yourself wanting to go back to and listen to over and over or see what the new episode came up? I'm going to, I'm going to say two. Okay. Okay. In, in education. Um, super. Anywhere, yeah. yeah. Cult of pedagogy. I love her podcasts. I think she's got general, generally really great content and great guests. Uh, and then from uh, from a business, you know, entrepreneur standpoint, uh, beyond influential with Brittany Crystal. Awesome. Um, with the artist or album that you found yourself listening to last in Spotify or wherever you listen, or the song. Um, Open up the app right now. What do you have? Or what's the album that you just saved that you're like working through? So you know, I, I unfortunately I've I've given up a lot on my punk rock, you know, roots <laughs> of my youth. Um, so in all honesty, it's, uh, it's a, uh, this incredible artist from Israel. His name is Malik Cohen and his, uh, his, his song is called Ve Ahapta. So yeah, I, I don't know if anyone's going to be checking that one out. But I, <laughs> awesome. Well, Hey, Michael, thank you so much. I'm really glad that we're able to connect that like, you alluded to this relationship that started years ago in Chicago. And now all these year late, years later, we're back together, um, discussing this idea of creativity. So thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take it easy. You too. 
If you've made it this far, if you made it all the way to the end of the podcast and the episode with Michael, I'm exceptionally grateful for you listening. Uh, hopefully you got a few interesting ideas out of there, whether it's the process, some inspiration, some questions to ponder and consider moving forward. So you are an inaugural listener to episode one of the So We've Been Thinking podcast. Um, keep an eye out for more episodes at SoWe'veBeenThinking.com. And you can check out the show on Anchor, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Google podcast, wherever you like to listen to your favorite audio. So uh, thanks again and check in for our next episode.